Christmas time has been said to be the most wonderful time of the year, and yet for many it's the most frantic, busy, painful time of the year. We sing about peace, we talk about peace on earth, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. How many of y'all's Christmas season is characterized by that? All is calm and all is bright. Sleep in heavenly peace. Anybody experiencing that during Christmas season? It tends to be the opposite during this time of year. It tends to be busyness, frantic. We, we tend to go in Martha mode. And Jesus' friends, uh, Martha and Mary, he was hanging out with them. And Martha, probably in good intentions, was just wanting to serve away. There was cultural expectations, and that's what she did. And she just wanted to serve. Jesus was there. We're going to make this house clean. We're going to have some food ready. We're going to get the decorations. It's going to be tight. Get to work, Mary. And yet Jesus had a different plan in that moment for them. And oftentimes we fail to recognize the peace and the rest that Jesus calls us into as believers. One of my favorite Christmas hymns that we sang last Sunday by Charles Wesley uh, has the fir- come now long expected Jesus has that first line in it that says come now long expected Jesus born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release us let us find our rest in thee. May that be so for each of us. This Christmas season, may we truly find our rest in the Prince of Peace, who is our peace, who's provided the foundation and the basis for you and I to slow down and find rest for our souls and rest for our bodies. There is an epidemic in the U.S. The U.S. Centers of Disease and Control Prevention in January uh, 2014 declared insufficient sleep is a public health epidemic. Harvard Medical School researchers surveyed that more than 10,000 people in the U.S. in 2012 found that insomnia is responsible for 274,000 uh, workplace accidents and errors each year, totaling of $31 billion in cost. Uh, here's some other stats. 50 to 70 million U.S. adults have sleep or wakefulness disorders, according to National Institutes of Health. 35% of Americans don't get the recommended seven hours of sleep each night. And some of y'all are like, seven hours? That sounds great. Americans current, currently average on 6.8 hours of sleep each night. In 1910, the average person slept nine hours a night. Yeah? Sound good? (laughs) Uh, Roughly 20% of Americans have a sleep disorder. Since 1985, the percentage of adults getting less than six hours each night has increased by 31%. 97% of teenagers get less than the recommended amount of sleep. Seven out of ten college students don't get adequate sleep. Sleep deprivation costs the U.S., 411 billion annually. That's, yes. From the beginning of creation, God has wired humanity to have this, this built-in rhythm daily and weekly called rest. 
We close our eyes each night. And I think one of the reasons why God's designed it that way is because he's the creator and we're not. And it's a reminder for us that he holds the whole world in his hands. We don't. And we're trusting him. We're looking to him. Amen. And so this is an issue. This is an issue that I've seen in my own life uh, where uh, it's been said that if the enemy can't stop you, he'll push you and drive you harder and harder. Just keep you going. Keep you on the treadmill of busyness. And there's all kinds of things that rob our rest. I'll give a list of them. But I'd like to, on this Sunday, this second Sunday of Advent, which has the theme of peace, I'd like to talk about something related to that, and that is gospel rest that Jesus, our Prince of Peace, offers to us. And it's more than just rest for our eyes and rest for our bodies But it's deeper than that. It's rest for our souls. It is the foundation of all other rest that we need. And it's only found in coming to him. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there to Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 25. If you don't have your Bible, it's up on the screen. Matthew 11, 25. At this time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for as such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and all god's people said Amen. Can we just exhale and say sigh and just say yes and amen to these most tender, precious words that Jesus gives us? Jesus gives us a great invitation. Many of us like invitations, don't we, especially to special events. And this is one of the greatest invitations that our Lord Jesus has given to us, that he calls us to come to him. And find rest for our souls. Jesus invites us to find rest for our souls by coming to him. He offers to teach us how to live according to his rhythms of grace. Take note of that phrase. His rhythms of grace. We'll we'll come back to that. In this passage, Jesus begins praising God for how God the Father works specifically and how he reveals himself to the humble and to the childlike. You see, there were many clever, wise, studious Religious folks of Jesus's day who thought they had God all figured out and religion all figured out. And they they thought they had the corner on the market. And yet God said, Jesus is praising the father because these guys who think they had it figured out didn't have it figured out at all. And God graciously reveals his ways to the childlike, to the humble, 
to the meek, he says, will inherit the earth. God loves to give grace to the humble and he opposes the proud. He resists the proud. Okay, and this is key for us in coming to him. Jesus said in Matthew 18, that unless you become as humble as a child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Even coming to Jesus and getting the free gift of eternal life, it involves us coming with childlike faith and humility and recognizing our need for a savior, our need for God. We need him. Desperately, we need him. And so Jesus is having this beautiful moment. We have this snapshot in the gospel of Matthew of Jesus delighting in the father and how the father works. And he says, you've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and you've revealed them to little children. Let us in this Christmas season recapture a sense of childlikeness. A sense of wonder and awe and who God is and come hungry and humble, ready and anticipating him to teach us his ways as we quiet our hearts before him. Verse 26, he says, yes, father, for such was your gracious will. So God reveals himself to the childlike. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, says this. Now, as always, God discloses himself to babes and he hides himself in thick darkness from the wise and the prudent. We must simplify our approach to him. We must strip down to essentials and they will be found to be blessedly few. We must put away all effort to impress and come with guileless candor of, of childhood. If we do this, without doubt, God will quickly respond. Let us come as a child, Jesus teaches us. God also reveals himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus declares this in verse 26. All things have been handed over to me by the father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. I love this. And I, I praise God for this, that God, that Jesus Christ carries the authority and the sovereignty to freely reveal himself to whomever he chooses. And he chooses, like the father, to reveal himself to the childlike, to those who come in simple trust and faith as a child. And this is a part of God's gracious will that he does this. If we are to know God, we are dependent upon him revealing himself to us. To know anybody, to know anybody in a deep, intimate way, you are dependent upon that person revealing and disclosing themselves to you and sharing things about themselves, about their, their hopes, their dreams, their desires, their plans, and who they are. We're dependent. Upon the other to reveal that. And we, by God's grace and God's mercy, through Jesus Christ, have God has revealed himself to us. He's shown us what he is like perfectly through his son Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 18, scripture says that 
No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is Jesus. Jesus came into this world. He took on flesh as God in human form. He took on a body and he displayed what God the Father is like. He came to his own and his own did not receive him or recognize him. They didn't see the gift that they had in the Messiah, the son of God who had come into this world. And therefore, because they didn't see the treasure of who Jesus is because of their pride and because of their spiritual blindness and their unbelief, they many missed out on the wonderful gift of the son of of salvation through the son of God, through Jesus Christ. So God is revealed to the child like God is revealed through his son. Uh, John Stott says this about this passage. He says, that means, of course, that only Christ can make the father fully and finally known. He is partially known in other ways in the order of loveliness in the created universe in the moral demands of our conscience and the unfolding developments of history. Yet though creation tells me of his glory, conscience of his righteousness, and history of his power and providence. Nobody tells me of his love for sinners and his plan to redeem us except Jesus Christ. This is why every inquiry into the truth of Christianity must begin with the historic person of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so next we see in this passage, and this is where I'd like to camp out, is Jesus' great invitation. So in this context, Jesus is praising the Father for how he reveals himself. Prior to this, Jesus had pronounced judgment on those who had rejected the gospel of the, the gospel message. And, and yet Jesus is praising God that, that God has hidden himself from those who consider themselves wise and prudent. And he reveals himself to babes and he gives this great invitation to come to him and find rest in verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. Verse 29. You see, in Jesus's day, in the first century, many of the Jews, most of the Jews were under this, this heavy weight of Judaism. And the religious leaders of the day had 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 poor interpretations of the law and they added many more commands to God's law. And they had all these traditions of men that made the commandments of God void, that they distorted the truth to the people and they put these heavy burdens on the people and people were worn out by religion they were worn out by trying to keep all these commands, trying to keep up with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we're like, these guys are the, uh, the, the elite. These guys are the Navy SEALs. How can we keep up with these guys? Is there any hope for us? And Jesus comes and he says, come to me, all you who are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He offers rest. To the weary soul, those who are burned out with religion and those who come hungry for a relationship with the one true God. 
And he says, I'll give you rest for your souls. It's not just a physical rest, but rest for your souls. People can sleep for 12 hours or more and wake up and still be weary and tired in their souls because only Jesus can give that kind of rest to a person. And he reserves that only for those who come to him and receive it as a free gift. Rest for our souls. I remember the time when I first became a Christian and I experienced the reality of this promise, of this invitation. I came with guilt, with pain, with shame, and it felt like a big heavy backpack on my shoulders. I had went through the loss. My, my father had died. My brother had died. My mom was on drugs. I was on drugs. And my life was aimlessly headed towards darkness and destruction. And Jesus Christ reached in and he, he gave me, extended this invitation through preachers, through the proclamation of the gospel. I went to a church where the gospel was being proclaimed and I heard it and I responded. And that the word of God became clear to me like it hadn't been before. I hadn't heard it communicated so clearly in, in, in the traditional Catholic church, the Roman Catholic church that I had grown up in. I just went through the motions of religion and I was lacking this rest for my soul. And I remember December 12th, 1998, when I came to Christ, I cried, I wept like a baby and I hadn't cried for years because I just stored up all this pain and hurt and discouragement, depression, I just stored it all up and just was numbed by smoking pot and numbed by drinking alcohol, numbed, numbed by immoral relationships. And I just cried just rivers of tears just flowing out of me. And at first it was pain, tears of pain just coming out. And God was healing me. And then towards the end of that, that experience at this altar call, when I went up to respond to this invitation, I began crying tears of joy. And there was this lightness that I began to experience where I was once heavy and weighed down with the guilt of my sin. And I experienced the lifting of that burden because Christ bore my sins on the cross in my place. This is why we celebrate Christmas, because God sent a rescuer to come into this dark, broken world and deliver us from our sins. Matthew 1, 21, you will call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus came to do, to rescue. And only those of us who are humble enough to realize we need a rescuer. We need a savior. We are sinners. We have sinned against the holy God and we deserve death. Only those of us who recognize that we have violated God's law. We've sinned against him. We deserve death. We need a rescuer. When we recognize that, when we come as humble as children and just ask, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me. Jesus graciously gives us forgiveness. He gives us rest for our souls. St. Augustine famously said these words. Thou has made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it finds rest in thee. Oh, how true are those words. 
God is our creator, our designer. We're made for him to be in relationship with him. And truly our hearts and our souls won't find rest until we come to the one who made us. And the one who died for us, who laid down his life for us, we come and we receive grace upon grace and we learn to walk and live within the rhythms of his grace. Unfortunately, as I've been walking with the Lord for 21 years and unfortunately, I haven't always walked in the rhythms of God's grace. Though I've initially come and experienced this wonderful laying down of my burden and this taking up of Jesus' burden that's light and his yoke that's easy and finding rest for my soul. So there's been many times where I've found myself frantic and busy and just caught up working for God rather than communing with him, working for God rather than walking with him and abiding in him and letting him produce good fruit through me. Or, or laboring with him, in him, with the strength that he provides, motivated by the love that he's poured out into my heart. And I've, I've found myself often weary and burdened and weighed down for various reasons. We'll look at some of the reasons why. We'll look at some rest robbers here shortly. But initially, in this context, one of the biggest reasons why these people were, were heavy laden was because of the, the, the legalistic religion that they were living under, that the Pharisees had promoted. Notice the second part. There's three, there's actually three parts to this, his command. And it's come to me, come to me, and then there's a promise, I'll give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke and learn from me. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Some translations say humble. I like that. They're closely connected there. Gentle, lowly, humble. He's a sympathizer. Jesus knows how to sympathize with the weak, with the broken, with the lowly. He came humbly. When you're getting surgery done on you, you don't, you don't want somebody who's rough. And tough and proud and arrogant. Oh, let me show you how to do it. You want somebody who's tender and humble and gentle. Who knows what they're doing and knows how to best help you. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. A yoke here. uh, This is uh, in the agricultural culture. Jesus is referring to this yoke. Two animals would be yoked together with. And it's this wooden harness that would be placed over them. We're also told like. I'm being unequally yoked is not a good thing. Don't be unequally yoked, referring to unbelievers and believers being together. But this idea was common. This, 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 the people of his day were familiar with this idea of this, this yoke. And it, it was a metaphor that was used for discipleship. You know, this is a metaphor for if, if somebody was going to follow a Jewish rabbi, they would take on their yoke, so to speak. And Jesus was saying, take my yoke. Take my yoke. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what that means is, is it means that Jesus has this custom fit yoke for you and I, this tailor fit, this custom built yoke for you and I that fits perfectly according to our design because he knows us. He's not going to to drive us to death. Working for him 
And it's not as if God needs workers like he has a help wanted sign. Need workers, come. We need help. We need help. He is the almighty God. And he can do it all himself, but he's invited us to come with him. It's interesting that Jesus tells the weary and the burden to take his yoke. It's interesting. Now, now it's merciful and it's gracious that he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But the idea of taking on a yoke means that there's some work to be done. There's some discipleship. There's, there's some action that's gonna need to be, that need to take place. And Jesus in no way was lowering the standards of discipleship, lowering, lowering the standards of morality. Okay, I mean, you read the rest of Matthew and you'll see in in the Sermon on the Mount where, you know, the the law says you you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says, I say, if you look to lust, you commit adultery. The law says don't murder, don't kill. But I say, if you're angry with your brother, you're in danger of judgment, you know. And and so Jesus brought out the heart of the law and in no way did he lower the moral standard for godliness and no way did he lower the standard for discipleship in Matthew 16 he says we're going to if we're going to follow him we got to take up our cross and and follow him. So so how is it how can his yoke be easy and his burden be light for us. And I've said this before. I think one of the reasons why Jesus can say that and yet keep such a high standard for discipleship and a high standard for morality is it's not just us trying to walk it out in our own strength. It's not just us working for God, trying to get right so we can come to him and he will accept us. We come as we are broken and sinful and guilty. And he receives us graciously and lovingly. He forgives us. He cleanses us. And then Romans 5, 5 says, he pours out into our hearts his love and he gives us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. But one aspect is we have this new love from God within us, his love for us. And that love compels us. That love energizes. That love helps us have the right motives for our service. One of the reasons many folks get worn out is because they have impure, wrong motives in why they're serving God. They're trying to earn something from them. They're trying to impress people. They're doing, like the Pharisees, they're doing what they do. Fasting, praying, and giving to be seen by others. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, they have their reward. Don't do that. That will wear you out if you're just trying to be seen by others to see how spiritual you are by others. That will wear you out. That's empty religion, okay? But Jesus calls us to this intimate place with the Father and with himself, the secret place. Go in there and pray when nobody else is looking. Talk to him. And your Father who is in the secret, he sees and he will reward you openly. Jesus retrained his followers how to think about religion and really how to think more about a relationship with God. So Jesus invites us to take his yoke. So his yoke is easy and his burden is light. One of the reasons or two of the reasons why I think he can say that and why this is true is because he puts his love in our hearts, which motivates us, but also he gives us grace. He gives us his grace through abiding in him. He gives us his strength. He says in 2 Corinthians, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. It fits perfectly. It's custom made for you. Try this on. 
that yoke that you're wearing of legalism, empty dead religion, trying to impress people, moralism, just trying to keep up with the cultural norms and do what everybody else is doing, materialism, having a bunch of stuff and thinking that that's going to save you, going to provide happiness for you, whatever it is, Jesus says, come and take my yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Here's an up-close picture of a wooden yoke there. I would want some leather around that, something soft around that to soften it up. And so it's not, when we're following Jesus, it's not just us working for him. We're walking with him. And he's working in us to will and to do his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13, right? I, I love that about Christianity. It's not just us working for God. Yes, he calls us to work. Yes, he calls us to action. But he says his commandments are not burdensome. In 1 John 5, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So he puts his love within us and we love him because he first loved us. And then we have this grace and this strength that come like sap to us as a sap flows from the vine into the branch. We have this power in this life flowing through us. Listen to this. I love this from uh, Eugene Peterson. This is a paraphrase from the message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover life. I'll show you how to take a rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Amen? Yes, the rhythms of grace. I first heard that phrase when I was a newer, new, newer Christian. There was an album out by Daryl Evans. And there was a song called Your Love is Extravagant. Some of y'all may know that song. And I used to listen to that album over and over and over again. But in, in that song, he says, I find I'm moving to the rhythms of your grace. Your fragrance is intoxicating in a secret place. Your love is extravagant. Your friendship, it is intimate. Spread wide in the arms of Christ. Is the love that covers sin. No greater love have I ever known. You can sit on me, your friend. Capture my heart again. Love that song. Rhythms of His grace. May we as a church learn to keep in step with the rhythms of His grace. Not the rhythm of the culture and what everybody else is doing. Keeping up with the Joneses. Not the rhythm of even the Christian culture. Let's keep in step with Jesus. Here's a family letter from an elderly couple in their 90s to their children and grandchildren and maybe great-grandchildren. But they wrote some things that they wanted their family to know. 
And, and in the last page, in the last section of this, this is what they said. If you find that Christianity exhausts you, draining you of your energy, then you are practicing religion rather than enjoying a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your walk with the Lord will not make you weary. It will invigorate you, restore your strength, and energize your life. Do y'all believe that? I think if that we're not experiencing that, we're doing it wrong. And we need continual rechecks, examinations, times where we get our oil changed, so to speak. We need service done to our spiritual lives because we get out of step. And we, we fall into the busyness and the frantic spirit of this world and we just go with the flow when God calls us to be like salmon who swim upstream. Don't go with the flow. There is a guy named Robert McShane McMurray. He died at a young age. Um, he, he made an impact with his 29, 30 years. But he told his friend as he was on his deathbed, he said this. He said, God gave me a message to deliver and a horse to ride. Alas, I killed the horse and now I cannot deliver the message. The horse, of course, was his body. Christian workers should accept, accept it that their service will be costly. And if it is to be effective, they should be careful not to kill the horse. Don't let the enemy push you to exhaustion and cause you to overwork and run yourself down and make you ineffective and weary and burdened. There are rhythms of grace for us to experience in following Jesus. So here are some rest robbers, and I've already said this, legalistic religion. Okay, in the context, I think this is what Jesus was coming against. And I think this is what many Christians tend to fall in today, even though they know it's by grace through faith that we're saved. There's, there's this tendency to stray. We're prone to wander to go towards this false teaching of this legalistic religion. And Jesus said this, and he indicted the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day. And he said, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with the finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Legalistic religion is a rest robber. Pride. Pride is a rest robber. Notice the connection in verse 25 and 26 of how God, Jesus is praising the Father, how the Father reveals himself to the childlike. And then he says, Hey, come to me. I'll give you rest. Psalm 131 has been a go-to for me as, as I've found myself at times being tired and weary and oftentimes connect, it's been connected to my pride, thinking I can do more than I ought to be doing or maybe doing something I shouldn't be doing, doing something God hadn't called me to do out of a sincere motive even. But Psalm 131, this has been a lifeline for me. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with matters too great and too awesome for me to grasp. I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for his mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. Isn't this beautiful? 
So the psalmist says, I, my heart's not proud. My eyes aren't haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great and too awesome for me. I think this is one of the reasons why we get worn out because we get so focused on matters that are beyond us that are not in our jurisdiction and not in our realm of responsibility. And we're all worked up about these great lofty matters as if we could do something about it, right? Other than pray. And, and the psalmist says, I've, I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child. I've quieted myself. Church, we must learn to do this if we're going to keep in step with the rhythms of God's grace. We must learn to quiet ourselves. The prophet Isaiah said, in, in returning and rest, you will be saved. And quietness and confidence will be your strength. We live in a busy, noisy world. And this Christmas season, I know there's gifts to get. Gifts to wrap. There's parties to attend. I know there are people to see. There are movies to watch and songs to listen to and cookies to make and lots of wonderful, great activities to enjoy in this season. But let's be aware that these good things don't eclipse us. Eclipse us from seeing the very reason for the season. Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's not be robbed of our rest during this Advent season. When my wife and I got married early on, we were uh, intentional about trying to make Christmas more meaningful and worshipful. And we've started uh, doing Advent devotionals and, and having quiet times of reflection in our home. And then as, we've ha- as we have had kids, those of us who are parents know it's much harder to do that, to have quiet times in the home. So we've tried to cultivate that with our children as well. Let's slow down. Let's reflect on this. Christmas isn't just about getting gifts under gifts under the tree and and enjoying fun activities christmas is about christ let's put the spotlight on him and let's not be robbed of our peace and rest another reason another rest robber is busyness and i've already alluded to martha and mary and how uh, martha was distracted with the big dinner she was preparing she said she came to Jesus and said, Lord, it doesn't seem fair that, that my sister just sits here while I do all the work. Tell her to come help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Warren Wearsby says this, a few things are as damaging to the Christian life as trying to work for Christ without taking time to commune with Christ. If serving Christ makes us difficult to live with, then something is terribly wrong with our service. Amen? And so pride, busyness, fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety. I've already mentioned the hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And he says, from our sins and fears, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is a prescription for the anxious and for the fearful. Do not be anxious about anything. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, stop being anxious. I love that the Bible tells us not only what not to do, but also what to do. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be made known to God. In other words, turn your worries into prayers. Those things that you're fretting about and you're fearful about as if you can do anything just about thinking, meditating on the negative over and over again as if that's going to change anything. Like, turn those into prayers. Thank God for what he's done and what he's doing. And then God says the promise with that and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 26.3 says you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Overwork is another rest robber. Okay. I know some of us here have been, I've been prone to this. Psalm 127 verse 2 is a, Another lifeline for me in the Psalms. It says in the NLT, it says, It's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. Or the ESV says, He gives his beloved sleep. You can actually be more effective if you get a full night's of rest rather than staying up real late and getting up really early. Because you're, you're damaging your body. Okay, you're making yourself more prone. Uh, my wife and I watched some TED Talks on sleep deprivation, and they were very insightful. Uh, how many of y'all enjoy the TED Talks? You ever watch the TED Talks? But some of the things that that were that I took note of was that when you when you're not getting enough rest, your body craves carbs, and so you tend to go towards the sweets, and so it leads to obesity. Also, when when we tend to when we don't get enough sleep, we tend to forget things and we don't retain as much. We lose as much ability to our, our memory, and we just we become less effective. Our our acts becomes dull, so to speak. And so there's something that God has wired that happens for our good while we're sleeping. In us, God helps us. There's some restoration that takes place. Proverbs 24, 4 says, Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Don't overwork. Screen time. Now we're getting, we're going to step on some toes here, including my own family. Here's a quote here. As a, as a nation, we're not getting enough sleep, says Wayne Giles, MD director of CDC's Division of Population Health. Lifestyle changes, such as going to bed at the same time each night, rising at the same time each morning, and turning off or removing televisions, computers, mobile devices from the bedroom can help people get healthy healthy sleep that they need. Okay, One of the big things that keeps us... Uh, from sleeping is is the light from the screens and some of us have tvs in our bedroom that are, that are not only our phones and computers but tvs in our bedroom that are just keeping us awake and we're stimulated and when it's time to go to sleep we can't go to sleep because we're stimulated from the screens we've been watching and so some of the uh, the researchers say it's 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 good to to kind of turn the lights low or dim 30 minutes before bedtime kind of wind down reading a book instead of a screen Looking at a screen is helpful. I found very helpful. Uh, and then those of us with kids, it's helpful too if we can get the, the kids to bed a little bit earlier as well. Psalm 119.37 says, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Another quote by Andy Crouch. He wrote The TechWise Family. Highly recommended if this is a topic you're interested in uh, in regards to screen time. He says, True rest seems to be elusive for most Americans. Only one in seven adults, 14%, set aside a day a week for rest. And on that day a week, what do they do? Mostly, they work. 
Only one in five, 19% of this small group say they don't have, they don't do any work at all. Even fewer Americans commit daily to daily time alone with, with God or to activities that recharge them. Only 12% American adults say they intentionally set aside a time of day when they don't use electronic devices. These electronic devices invade our our lives and we need to set some boundaries and be willing to say no to some some good things and some okay things so that we can say yes to the best things. Amen. Serving in our own strength is a rest robber. And I have a list, several other things that I could mention, but I don't have time to. First Peter 4.11 says that those who serve should, should serve by the strength that God supplies so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. God gets the glory. So application, let's let's wind it down here. So I want to encourage you to establish daily rhythms of quiet reflection. Daily take some time. Now, Jean Fleming says this in her book, Finding Focus in a Whirlwind World. She says, we live in a noisy, busy world. Silence and solitude fit the air of Victorian lace, high button shoes, and kerosene lamps better than our age of television, video arcades, and jogger wired with earphones or wireless now. We have become a people with an aversion to quiet and an uneasiness with being alone. All throughout history, godly saints who have made progress in their spiritual lives have spent time alone and times in, in quietness, silence and solitude. And if we struggle with that, I, I think probably many of us do, we have to push back on it. We have to push back on it. Don't give in to that spirit of the world. Don't give in to the busyness. Don't don't allow culture demands to, to push you to restlessness. And next, evaluate your commitments. What do they have to do with the kingdom of God? Evaluate your commitments. Maybe you have some really good things going on in your life, but they have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And they actually don't help you. They don't recharge you. They're not helping other people. They're just wearing you out. So what what things like that can you just cut off and trim off for, for your own good, for your own health? So you can be more available for others. Jesus told his followers, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Focus on following Jesus today. Avoid fretting about tomorrow, wallowing in regret of the past. Rather, focus on following Jesus today. Jesus said, don't be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, Elizabeth Elliott in her book, Keep a quiet heart said this today is mine. Tomorrow is none of my business. If I peer anxiously into the fog of the future, I will strain my spiritual eyes so that I will not see clearly what is required of me now. Don't let your fretting about tomorrow rob you from experiencing God's best right now. And don't let the, 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 the regret, wallowing in the regret of the past, rob you of experiencing God's best right now. Now, let me just say this. God's not against planning. Okay, the, the book of Proverbs teaches us the plan. Planning is generally a good thing, but when we plan, the book of James tells us we should have this posture, this attitude that says, if the Lord wills, we're gonna do this. We plan with God. Not like we get all our plans down and we're like, hey, God, will you bless this? 
It's better to plan with God. Say, God, what do you want? What's the best here? How, how should we spend our time? Just recently, we were trying to go out. To, this past week, we were trying to go out to eat, and we couldn't decide. Anybody ever been stuck trying to decide out decide where you're going to go out to eat? Like, you just end up taking way longer than you should. Even in simple things like that, just saying a little prayer, like, God, would you show us where to go? And I'm thankful we didn't go to some of the places we wanted to go. One place we went to was a 30, 20, 30 minute wait. Kids eat free there. And we were, we were like, yeah, we're going to go here. And it didn't work out. And we went to a nice, quiet place where we had a, had a quiet night together. And thankfully, we didn't go to a busy, hustle and bustling place that we were planning on it, planning on going. Okay, last here. Simplify by saying no to good things and yes to the best things. Some of y'all are thinking, I need to simplify these sermons and cut them down, right? Simplify by saying no to good things and yes to the best things. A book called Crazy Busy, a mercifully short book on a really big problem by Kevin DeYoung. We listened to this over Thanksgiving as we were traveling. Kevin DeYoung says this, The biggest deception of our digital age may be the lie that says we can be omnicompetent. Omni-informed and omnipresent. We cannot be any of these things. We must choose our absence, our inability, and our ignorance and choose it wisely. We can't know everything. We can't be everywhere. We can't do everything. That will wear us out. But what has God called you to do today? Who's he called you to minister today? How's he called you to use your time and your resources today? Your words today? It's okay to slow down and rest. The gospel provides us a foundation for resting because we don't have to prove ourselves to anybody. We're forgiven, we're accepted, we're loved. We come to Jesus and we find rest for our souls and we find strength by taking his yoke that's easy and his burden is light. We find strength to do his will. Not working, merely working for him, but working with him and him working in us to will and to do his good pleasure. Amen. We've got time for one, one question or comment in, in closing and then I'll pray. Where do you get the standards of saying this is a good thing, but this is not the best thing? Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's a great question. Well, what I try to do as a Christian is I try to filter everything that I do through what God's word says. So Romans twelve one and two particularly is helpful when it comes to this. It says, um, I, "I urge you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, pleasing to God." And then it says. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know God's good and acceptable and his perfect will for you. And so I think that's key. And I think the way that we renew our minds and think differently, because we all need our minds to be changed and renewed in so many different areas, because we've been brought up thinking all kinds of things that aren't best and aren't true and aren't right. And the culture teaches us Constantly, we're bombarded with messages that aren't God's ways and they aren't according to God's rhythms of grace. And so we have to renew our minds through what the word of God says. But then we have these things that are not specific. And so those things, 
we can pray about those things. We can ask God, God, will you lead, lead me? God promises that he gives his Holy Spirit to lead us. And, and one of the ways we know that we're following the leading of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so when I find myself out of peace, or I'm grouchy, and I'm not joyful, I'm uptight, and I'm, I'm unpleasant to be around, and my family knows it, then I need to step back and ask myself, am I doing what God wants me to do, or am I doing what God wants me to do with the resources that he's provided? And so I think those are some of the things that Christianity involves this real vibrant relationship with God where we really get to know him and he really speaks to us and guides us by his spirit and his word. And so I'd say the word, the scripture and the spirit is how we discern the good from the best, the scripture and the spirit. Yes. In response to the lady's question, I might say that the good is always the enemy of the best. And there is always a choice. Yeah. And uh, I, I put my questions in regard to what profits me most today, and then what will accomplish the most for eternity. So that helps me decide what's good and then what's bad. That that's great. I'm gonna I'm gonna add one more S to simplify this: the Scripture, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and the saints. So seeking godly wisdom from godly saints who've walked before me, who they have grown kids. They have, they were in the teenage years with the kids. They, they have some insight for me and my wife and how, what we should do. Uh, and so getting counsel from other godly saints. Father, thank you. Thank you for the rest that you give, the peace that you give. And in this season, I pray that we would not let it go by without us receiving the gift of your peace. Jesus said, peace I give you, not as the world gives. I give you my peace. I pray that we would experience that and that that peace would lead us to uh, moments of rest, that we would uh, be led into keeping in step with your rhythms of grace and may we push back on the cultural norms. May we push back on all the, the uh, electronics and, and advertisement and commercialism that seeks to invade our lives. And may we get still and get small that we might hear your still and small voice this Advent season. And may we prepare room in our hearts for your return. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you.